Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Okay. Hello, my name is Matt. I'm a sexaholic. Uh, my sobriety date is July 27, 1999. Um, I just wanted to um, talk today about surrender. Um, particularly its place in recovery, how um, it's been described, what it means to me in recovery, and hopefully um, some experience on the subject so um, we can all work towards a more complete and full surrender in God through the program of SA. Um, So I wanted to start off, I actually didn't want to necessarily give my own definition of surrender. I think I'll be bringing in some material that will do um, a pretty decent job. Um, Particularly, I wanted to lean on um, the definition or um, description of surrender as it was given in early AA. Uh, It's customary in SA to um, lean on the wisdom of AA, although SA is its own fellowship, its program is certainly an adaptation of the AA program and its wisdom uh, has been helping us stay sober, sexually and clean, free from masturbation and fantasy and all the other very addictive things that come along with sex addiction. So um, I guess I wanted to say that also I think the AA program is even more than just um, applicable to essays. It's essential. Um, I happen to be an alcoholic as well, so I can make certain comparisons. But um, I think spiritually, uh, the sexaholic is up against a couple of things that the alcoholic isn't up against. Um, Number one is the speed in which a person can lose it. Uh, I think this has to do with the fact that that lust um, is a problem that's that's deeper in a spiritual dimension, and I'll I'll describe that in a second. Um, Spiritual things are known um, to be fast-moving. I don't want to get theologically minded here, but an angel supposedly could travel as fast as your own thought. If you think of the Eiffel Tower, that's how fast an angel could move. Their spirit is a faster moving thing than uh, than a substance, a thing like a car, for instance. Um, I think that lust is a spiritual problem that moves much faster than a substance like alcohol. Um, it takes you know, get some money, get in your car, drive to the liquor store, hand over the money, grab the bottle, open it up, drink it down, and wait 20 minutes. 
a sexaholic can have the same thing happen in under three seconds. Um, so for us, I think the spiritual program and answer is um, even more essential. Uh, also, at the same time, physically, it is not as debilitating as alcohol. And the sexaholic has the great possibility of deceiving himself about how bad it really is. So um, with all that being said, I did want to say something kind of as a disclaimer about surrender, um, not necessarily giving a, a definition as of yet, but just to say that, that surrender is a cooperative action. Um, it can be elicited or evoked, but not self-induced or self-forced. Um, a person can no more surrender alone than they can make a baby by themselves. Uh, I was talking to a friend this morning in the, in the program about surrender, and he was giving the analogy of, of surrendering your car. And this, that's a good example because it, it involves two parties. Um, there's somebody who voluntarily agrees to give something, give up the vehicle, and then there's a party on the other end that receives it. I think that analogy analogy is pretty good, but I think uh, possibly a better one, which I've heard along the way, is is that it's more like surrender is more like joining the army, because in the case of the car, you're giving up an item. In the army, you give up yourself. Uh, when you join the army, you belong to the army. Uh, you surrender your rights, your freedoms, your time, and you do what they tell you to do. Uh, in exchange, of course, they take care of your immediate needs and they protect your life. Um, but I think even that analogy is still insufficient because uh, with God, you are surrendering your will in your life, which means everything. That means your family, your job, your problems, your crises, your strengths, your weaknesses, your will, your ideas, your money, your time, your recovery. Uh, all of that is what is given to God. Um, all of those things at the point of surrender are under the protection and care of God. So that being said, I just wanted to say one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about surrender was um, it actually is a topic that, um, that I shared some experience um, talking over with um, the SA founder, Roy Kay. Um, I got to know Roy uh, back in, I don't know, I guess maybe early 2000. Um, and we used to talk quite a bit, and our conversations, we probably had, I'm guessing, a dozen or so exchanges, phone conversations and emails and letters and stuff back and forth. Not a hell of a lot, but um, most of it was um, as an extension of his relationship with my father-in-law, who was an early member of, of AA and was instrumental in writing with Bill Wilson a lot of the AA books. Um, so we had kind of a... Uh, already going relationship coming off of that. And we were able to talk about, I think, um, a number of things that were on his mind. Now, maybe Roy would, was the type to open up to just about anybody, and I think probably that's the case. Um, one of the things I really felt from, from Roy was a guy who was, who was constantly growing and maturing in, in, the, in the program. Um, constantly trying to figure out deeper ways for himself to surrender and, and to live this way of life. Um, but anyway, in one of the particular 
discussions we were up against, he, he talked about his concern of the perpetual slipping NSA. And I don't think, I think at that point, Roy had done a lot of work on himself um, to have any kind of um, major um, ego affiliation with SA. I don't think he was trying to uh, have SA succeed for his own egotistical, um, you know, bonus points in any particular way. I think he was keenly, sincerely concerned about people in SA achieving sexual sobriety. Um, The problem of slipping was a big one, and he knew it. Um, At one point, he had shared that he was... um, was really looking for an answer for the for the slipping thing, and it, it, he had actually sent him back into the history of early AA, and particularly um, the years of 1935 and 1938. And this is in Akron, Ohio. This is the early AA fellowship before it even had the name Alcoholics Anonymous. He had said this. This is Roy. I wanted to quote him. He said in 1935 to 1938. In the midst of that ragtag roundup of woebegone rummies, something was happening which would turn into the greatest event of the 20th century. This was the joyous discovery that God was doing for hopeless drunks what they had never been able to do for themselves. Before there was any AA name or literature, this was where hope for lustaholics was, was also born. That seminal AA experience was centered around one simple fact, surrender. Surrender to God. Surrender to God in a fellowship of deeply personal accountability in the context of helping others. This is the original third step experience, the heart and soul of the entire program. So, um... I was kind of moved by that, um, and I, I also, um, just from learning some about the history of, of this, how the whole 12 steps got started, and particularly this, this thing of how surrender came about, um, preceding uh, AA, um, or the fellowship in which AA grew out of, um, was a evangelical fellowship called the Oxford Group. And I won't go into too many details about the Oxford Group. It's definitely far enough from our own vocabulary and some of the, some of the concepts that it's, it's quite jarring for some people. Um, at the same time, you can certainly see the principles at work. And uh, definitely, it's this principle of surrender. Um, so the founder of that movement was a man named Frank Bookman. He had um, he was a Lutheran minister. His main work was he ran a, a home for for indigent children, and he was taking care of them. And the board members uh, of the of the nonprofit that was that was overseeing this kept pulling back on on the money, and food got scarce. And finally, they pulled the whole rug out from underneath the project. And Frank Bookman was so upset and quite frankly resentful um, at the prospect of these kids going back out on the street. And here is an account of of where he found himself. His resentment lasted for several years. He was so ill by it um, that it made him sick. He saw doctors. They told him to travel. And in traveling, he finally went to um, a place somewhere in in, uh, England 
and he had this particular experience. Uh, My feelings were very unhappy. I won't call them despairing. They were just feelings of great unhappiness. Grudges against certain religious people were there in my mind, fermenting. I felt that I could justly accuse those men of hard-heartedness, of high-handedness, and of bigotry. They had always seemed to be opposing me, opposing my work. Yet the main cause of my disquiet was the knowledge of my own heart that it was guilty of three things sticking there like glue, stopping all the free working of the generosity and happiness I longed to experience. Selfishness, pride, ill will. These three things were in my blood. Selfishness, pride, ill will. I could not get rid of them. While they were there, I knew that the better part of me couldn't function as it ought. So following that experience, um, um, actually before I get to talking about what happened afterwards, he, he then describes what, what it felt like, um, what were the after effects of surrender. Um, this is what he said. There was no hesitancy, no feeling of a divided will, no sense of calculation and argument, a wave of strong emotion rising up within him from the depths of his estranged spiritual life, life seemed, as it were, to lift his soul from its anchorage of selfishness and to bear it across that great sundering abyss to the feet of God. There he made his surrender to the divine will. There he lost all sense of oppression and helplessness. And so the very next day he was... Um, so moved by what had happened to him that he started to tell another person about it, just randomly, kind of almost haphazardly. Um, I think that's a normal, um, almost knee-jerk reaction of a, of a true surrender. You, you just find yourself um, communicating it afterwards. So he, st- he spoke to this person, and, the, and ironically what happened was it evoked a similar response from this other person. This person ended up uh, spilling his guts and talking about himself and also made a surrender. Um, What happened off that is they saw that uh, this very thing of surrender and communication of it automatically led to this thing of helping others. Um, Off of that, groups started to form and in those groups, um, alcoholics started to attend. Um, they started to go. Uh, both our co-founders of AA um, started to attend, one in New York, the other in Akron. In Akron, it was Dr. Bob. And here is an account of what surrender was like. And this, is, this was a passage that was particularly important to Roy. He said that when he read this, and this is out of the book, Dr. Bob and the Good Old Timers, he said when he read this, that he said he, know, he knew he had read this before, but he said when he, when he hit this, this is at a time when Roy was particularly looking for what the solution was to slipping in SA. So when he read this, it was as though he had never read it before, and he was just shocked. So this is, um, this is an account of um, what surrender looked like in 1937 in, in, uh, in Akron. We were taking them upstairs and getting them on their knees to surrender, which I felt was a very important part. 
The surrender was more than important. It was a must. Bob E., who came into AA in February 1937, recalled that after five or six days in the hospital, when you had indicated that you were serious, they told you to get down on your knees by the bed and say a prayer to God, admitting you were powerless over alcohol and your life was unmanageable. Furthermore, they had to state that you had to state that you believed in a higher power who could return you to sanity. We called that the surrender. They demanded it. You couldn't go to a meeting until you did it. If by accident you didn't make the surrender in the hospital, you had to make it in the upstairs bedroom at the Williams house. Dorothy S.M. recalled the 1937 meeting when the men would all disappear upstairs and all of us women would be nervous and worried about what was going on. After about a half an hour or so, down would come the new man, shaking, white, serious, and grim, and all the people who were already in AA would come trooping down after him. They were pretty reluctant to talk about what had happened, but after a while they would tell us that they had had a real surrender. I often wondered how many people that come in now would survive an experience like that. A regular old-fashioned prayer meeting, said Dorothy, who was then married to an AA member, Clarence S., and later came into AA herself. The newcomer surrendered in the presence of all those other people. After the surrender, many of the steps involving inventory, admission of character defects, and making restitution were taken within a matter of days. So um, the description of, um, I want to just touch on too, the description of surrender as it was given first um, by Frank Bookman um, I think it echoes something uh, that we find, I think, in the AA Big Book, which is that you start off not with just um, an act. First of all, to me, I believe that surrender often is confused with surrendering a particular problem. Um, certainly, I want to surrender lust. Certainly, I want to surrender fantasy. Um, Certainly, I want to surrender the desire to masturbate. Um, but I think what surrender is, is surrendering, as it says in the step, my will and my life. It isn't one ugly compartmentalized section of myself. It isn't just a thought. It's all of me to all of God. Um, but to go back to the original um, description, it starts off with, also giving up something. Um, in that, that case, it was self-will and pride and selfishness. And I find that um, a real starting place to start working on, on surrender. Um, the big book actually starts out that way. It says, the first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. Whatever our protestations are not most of us concerned with ourselves, our resentment, our self-pity. Selfish self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic is an extreme example 
of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must, or it kills us. God makes that possible. And there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. Many of us had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we could not live up to them even though we would have liked to. Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. We had to have God's help. This is the how and why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decided that hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. When we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer. Being all-powerful, he provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. Established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. As we felt no new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, as we became conscious of his presence, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. We were reborn. So um, in that description, it starts to, to give, um, uh, basically it gives uh, the after effects of what, what a surrender looks like. Um, I guess you could say somewhat of a promise of what comes of it. Um, there is uh, something I found helpful along the way, and this is also an AA source, um, and this is in from the psychiatrist Dr. Harry Tebow, who was actually a psychiatrist, personal psychiatrist of Bill Wilson, and one of the early medical persons to actually endorse AA as an effective means for recovery. And he wrote a piece uh, called "Surrender Versus Compliance." In therapy and what it was is his description of of seeing what basically what made AA tick and by extension what would make SA tick um, he saw that um, the enemy of surrender was a thing called compliance and compliance means essentially phony half-hearted acceptance of the program which in effect really is no acceptance at all. It's a sort of play acting. Um, he also talked a lot in this particular piece, and I recommend it to others, um, but he also um, refers particularly to the problem of the ego, um, the need for hitting bottom, and also he details the characteristics of surrender, and he goes, I think, in a little more detail than what we just read in the, from the big book. And I think um, that when you approach this thing of surrender, it's good to know almost the, the negative aspect of the self-will and the selfishness and ego and arrogance. But it's also um, important to have almost as like a checklist of what does a surrender look like in my own life. And so he says, he gives the following um, as what those characteristics would be. So he says, the change 
An emotional state which follows the surrender experience is characterized primarily by altered response in which quiet and serenity predominate. Associated with that altered response are other changes. One, the loss of automatic hostility. Two, the disappearance of the perfectionistic drive. Three, the disappearance of the egocentric power drive. Four, the appearance of a better response to work demands. And finally, five, the appearance of a much greater capacity for objectivity. Other changes in attitude accompanying the new state, the new feelings which appear are distinctly spiritual in quality and alter the psychic picture in the direction of what must be conceded are healthier reactions. Experience has furthermore demonstrated that these reactions furnish a substantial base for continued sobriety. And I take that to mean that um, sobriety is an extension of the work that occurs in surrender. And that's what Roy was on the hot pursuit to look for uh, and to evoke for himself and for others that were in the groups that that he was working with. Um, So with that, I wanted to um, close referring to... um, different demonstrations of what surrender looks like um, in early AA, but I wanted to now just just quickly touch on some of the things that that I've learned about surrender um, over the years and, you know, in recovery. Um, And I'll start off with this one. So uh, surrender, in surrender, there's something definite in which you're surrendering. You can't surrender nothing. It has to be something. And you can't surrender a something to a nothing. Um, That is kind of a predicament for people who come in that claim that they are atheists or possibly even agnostic type. Um, I've heard over the years that, in essence, in the very beginning, Um, It's absolutely workable to surrender to the truth. Um, From a religious standpoint or a God standpoint, many believe that truth is an attribute of God anyway, and um, it is pretty much the truth that um, we've been fighting all along, especially the truth about our own condition in relationship to our sex troubles. Um, Another thing is that self-honesty seems to always preclude surrender. Um, The other is that, and I found this one extremely helpful for myself, that um, self-will, the opposite of surrender, in modern terms can best be described as the spoiled brat in me. Um, This thing that wants its own way will kick and scream when it doesn't get it, but then also can be as cool as a cucumber uh, at other times when it knows it has to be in order to get its own way. Um, the next thing is what we give up, which is our will in our lives. Surprising to m- many of us in the beginning is no big prize. Uh, our lives are already wrecked, and our will is already untrustworthy and destructive. So if in, 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 an, in the analogy of surrendering the car, 
ours is already broken down and and uh, not even able to be work very well. Um, the next is that uh, the will is something like a wild beast. Um, this is that spoiled brat that's in me, and that it needs to be tamed and trained before it can be useful to others, and that the 12 steps themselves are a training there. Um, the next is that surrender can only happen now. It's not something that can be done later. It's not something that can be done when I feel like I'm up to it. It has to be done now. That's the only time it can happen. Um, the next is that step three is, and this is really important, um, is begun on the foundations of step one and two. Um, it, can't, it can't be started without that foundation. Um, it's followed through into steps four all the way into nine and then is maintained from there forward or sustained in the maintenance steps of 10 and 12. Um, the next is that a third step surrender isn't possible without prayer. Um, this is the way I heard it described once, that if we have a new employer, uh, how would it work on the job if you showed up and you never referred to your boss? You didn't go to him and say, what are my daily assignments? What would you like me to do today? Uh, the third and the eleventh step have a special relationship together. Uh, the next is, uh, this is kind of the indebtedness that comes off of a surrender, which is that the second we wake up, and this is a good reminder for me, that the second we wake up, we're indebted to God and to the program, and that there is nothing I can do in this next 24 hours that could give back more than what the program has given to me. And that the best possible way I could pay homage to that is to help other people. That's the best way I can repay it. The next is that surrender means my will in life. Again, I made this point earlier. It's not just lust or resentment. It really means all of me. It's not a compartmentalized uh, action. And the next is that it's important to set up uh, daily morning 11-step time um, in which I make a formal act of, act of surrender and to do this every day. Um, also, throughout the day, renew that surrender whenever I'm tempted. tempted. Uh, the next is one that's kind of an extension of that. This is something I had gotten from my spon early sponsor. He said, he used the third step. He talked about it in reference to a power of attorney. And he said that the um, power of attorney is where a person is, is, gives authority over to something else in the case that they become incapacitated and unable to carry out their business well. And that, um, that it's good to make a third step surrender in the form of a prayer, offering God power of attorney and to say that at any point today, that I'm tempted to act out in lust, that I'm tempted to masturbate, tempted to look at pornography, uh, tempted to resent my boss, tempted to gossip, whatever it is that would be off of God's will, um, that you give him, I give him power of attorney and that he can step in and take over at any time. The next is that um, 
it's good to have specific surrender prayers. Um, when I wake up in the morning, I try to just use the words of the step. First thing when I wake up is I turn my will and my life over to your care. Uh, I go to my 11-step morning, my morning prayer time, my time set apart, and I have a particular prayer that I, that I say, the big book, uh, third step prayer in the big book is a great one. The essay white book has an adaptation of that. Uh, the big book also recommends that you can use any such prayer that you find helpful. Um, it's also helpful to have, again, in times of temptation, some kind of prayer to keep, um, to keep the surrender going. Uh, the big book mentions using the phrase over and over again, thy will not mine be done. Uh, the white book has a prayer, I surrender my right to lust, please take it away. Um, the best way to approach a temptation like that is to be as, as um, persistent with the prayer as the temptation is being persistent at soliciting you. Uh, usually, in my opinion, lust does not like uh, me calling on, on God for help, and it will eventually pack its bags and leave, and when it does come back, it has to change its approach. Um, and then lastly, and I'll close with this one, and I think it's extremely important, and this is for those, um, again, who this talk was mostly dedicated for, as this thing of those who are having trouble and stumbling. Um, I think that uh, I think that those who come to SA and stumble, I think there's something um, important to it in a way. I don't think it's fully a sign of the uh, inability of, let's say, SA itself to, um, you know, produce instant sobriety for everyone. I think that in the heart and guts of the people who are coming to SA for help, I know this is my case, um, there's something really big going on here and that we're willing to, no matter the humiliation, to keep coming back and to keep trying. And there's been a lot of attempts that have been made where there is what seems to be a, a tremendous amount of failure for weeks and months and even years before a surrender experience occurs. Um, I would just want to encourage everybody who's struggling and, and skinning their knees um, to keep trying, to keep coming, to keep admitting their faults, keep praying for help. Um, I want to say this, and this is something, this is, again, this is on my clo in closing. I was told this in the very beginning when I went to um, begin my sex recovery, which I didn't know it was beginning. I didn't even think this was possible. Those that I turned to for help said to me that um, if you turn your will and life over to God, if at a time of temptation when you are most tempted, uh, first of all, you never know how strong a temptation is until you try to resist it. It's a very, very powerful thing. Um, if you hang on, through the temptation and you turn to God in prayer and you keep turning to him and do not quit, you will 100% come through on the other end with a surrender. At that point, and this is what my experience has been, you will know that you've been given one of the greatest gifts that any human person can ever have. And from there forward, each day, you will do everything you can 
to not only keep it, but also to give it away. And so uh, with that, I just want to say thank you to everybody. And I close. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.